Yeah. Well, this weekend we're talking about anxiety, worry, fear. Uh, the game Operation calls it Butterflies in the Stomach. And uh, the grown-up word for it is anxiety. You may be able to pronounce it, but you may not be able to spell it. Uh, I can't. I had a hard time with that. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to get there in just a minute. Matthew chapter 6. There are four common failures or anxieties that we have. Uh, one is the fear of failure. If I try something and it doesn't work, how does that make me look? How do I feel about myself? The fear of rejection. If I put myself out there and I'm not received or what I'm selling isn't purchased or, or it, it's just, it doesn't happen, how, how do I deal with that? The fear of intimacy. If someone really truly knows me for who I am, and if they don't accept me or they reject me, or it's just the whole idea of if somebody really knew who I really was, then how would they feel about me and, and, and how would they really look at me? And, and the other fear, the anxiety that we have is a fear of losing control. I'm not in control. I'm not, I, I have no control of what's going on around me. Um, Joyce Myers says that worry is a down payment on a problem that you may never have. Corey Tim Boone, who is a Holocaust survivor, says that, that worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It just empties today of its strength. And we know this. We get this. We understand this. The Bible puts it like this, that what we're to do with worry in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says that we're to cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us. We're to cast our anxiety, our worries, our fears on Christ, on him because he cares for us. That, that word cast actually means to give up, to lay down, to surrender uh, our anxiety, to give up our worry, to give up our fear, and give it to who? To him, to Jesus Christ, because he's the only one that really can do anything about it anyhow. And so I can't fix it. He's the only one that can. So if we know that we're not supposed to worry, and, and can I just say something? I'm probably not going to say anything this weekend that you don't know if you've been following Christ for very long. Um, it, but it's something that it goes from being head knowledge to heart knowledge. It's something that goes from what we know, uh, give a mental assent to, to how we live our life. And, uh, but we know these things. I mean, uh, why worry? Why do we worry? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, says don't worry about anything. We know that. Instead, pray about everything. How spiritual does that sound? Tell God your needs. And if you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. We, we, we get that. But what I want to try to do this weekend is just unpack something that I think will, will be helpful to how do we do that? Practically, how do I not worry? Practically, why should I not worry? And Jesus addresses this subject in Matthew chapter 6. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus has these great uh, parables, these teachings, these interactions with, with the disciples and, and with people that are far away from God all throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in Matthew chapter 6, he does this message that's just to all the followers at large. This grand, this masterpiece of a sermon. And in this sermon, he talks about anxiety. He talks about worry. He talks about this. And he says four things. So in Matthew chapter 6, he says four reasons why we shouldn't worry. First is, is that worry is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. He says it this way in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? 
He basically says, look, there's no redeeming value to worry. There's no redeeming value to chasing after what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, where you're going to sleep, where, what you're going to wear. Uh, uh, there, there, there's more to life than that. And, and, and life is made up of more than that. But how, many time, how much time do we spend of our waking hours worrying about clothes and shelter and food and what we're going to do here and how we're going to do this. And, and, and man, uh, we're having a baby. And so what, how are we going to provide for the baby? And how are we going to pay for this? And, and what about that? And, you know, the car is breaking down and we got to fix. And what about the house? And, and what about this? And what about? And he just says, don't worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink, what your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Basically, worry, he says, is trivial. There's no reasoning to it. it. It makes no sense. It's just, it's, it's a distraction. It's what you'd call sideways energy. So if I worry, it doesn't put food on the table. If I worry, it doesn't put clothes on my back. If I worry, it doesn't put money in my pocket. I mean, I've never met anybody that goes, oh man, I worried and my bank account just went through the roof. I worried about my kids and they got straight A's. I worried about my job and I mean, I went to the top of the corporation. It doesn't do that. It's completely unreasonable. He goes on to say that worry is unnatural. Worry is unnatural. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, the next verse, he says, Look at the birds of the air, for they don't sow, reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more valuable are they? Are, are, how much more, how, are you not much more valuable than they? Can I just say something? Of all of God's creation, the only part of his creation that worries is humanity. Worry is not a natural thing that we have. It's something that we learn. I don't know about that, Aaron. I mean, really, I mean, you know, everybody worries. And so, isn't that just kind of like, you know, it's just kind of the human condition? Think about it. When a child comes into this earth, the, 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 the kid, when he's able to, to, to get old enough to walk and not really talk, but it's more, you know, baby words and, 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 and grunts and, and passing some gas and that kind of video, he's at that stage, right? Um, the, the bottom line is, is when, is when he's hungry, he lets you know, or she lets you know, and they eat. And then when they want to play, whether it's two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon, they play because they have a mind of their own, right? And, and, and when they, when they're tired, they just fall over and go to sleep. And it doesn't matter if there is a party or what's going on. They're out like a light until they're ready to get up and eat and then go back to sleep again and then play. Why is it? Because they don't worry about any of that stuff. That's your problem, mom and dad. They don't worry about that. There's nothing natural about worry. When they begin to worry, it's as they grow up in the world that we live in, and they hear, watch out for this, and stranger danger, and, and there's, there's danger over here, and don't do this, and don't do that, and here's what's happening, and here's what's happening, here was, and then they begin to watch, and they begin to listen. They watch how we respond and how we react. They hear conversations, or overhear conversations about the bills, and about paying this, and about taking care of that, and what about this, and what about that? And, and, and they, they began to see strains and cracks in the relationships and the home. And it begins to teach them, whoa, as I get older, I have to worry. And they, they see even if everything's good in your household, they have another classmate that their mom and dad's going through a divorce. And so they come home that day and you talk about what happened at school that day. And, and they tell you, well, Sally, her mom and dad are separated. I don't know what that means, dad. And the divorce, divorce, what does that mean, Dad? Is that ever going to happen here? Is that ever going to happen with you and Mom? Or, or, you know, or, 
or, or Johnny, he, he's not in our class anymore. They had to move to another state because his parents lost their job. Somebody, what, I don't understand. What, how, why does that happen? Why can't they just go to school? Why can't they just... And all of a sudden, life and conversation and we as parents and... Thank God for the media, right? For all of those things that are out there, they're taught, you better be careful. You better be careful about this and careful about that and careful about this and careful about that. And the world in which we live in teaches this thing called worry and anxiety that's completely not the way we were wired. That's the reason why that it's so hard on us physically when we worry because we were never designed to carry that amount of weight. We were never designed to carry that emotional baggage. We weren't wired that way. Worry is, is the next thing. It's, it's unhelpful. Verse 27, Matthew goes on to say, Worry is unhelpful. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? If you worry, did you change things? No. Worry doesn't solve problems. Worry brings no solutions. Worry gives no direction. Worry gives no insight. Worry doesn't help anything. If they're firing everybody at, at your plant by worrying, do you secure yourself a position? No. If, if, if the entire economy is going into complete recession and depression, do you save your, your retirement account by worrying? No. Uh, uh, does worrying help keep you, uh, you know, in a house? No. Does worrying help keep you in a relationship? No. Does worrying do anything? No. It actually exacerbates the problem. It actually makes it much, much, much worse. It magnifies the weaknesses. It magnifies the negative. It plays on the fears that we have, that we learned from a long time ago. Somebody in a class who got moved because their dad got fired. Or a relationship that went south and somebody got divorced. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was that. And all of a sudden, things begin to creep into our lives. And, 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 it, and, and the natural tendency is, because we're taught this, is to worry about it. But worrying doesn't change anything. Maybe you're facing some major, major, major big problems this weekend. And you're like, man, how do I deal with this? Well, I can tell you one thing that won't help is worry. It'll keep you up at night. It'll give you indigestion. (laughs) You can't even enjoy the food that you are eating. You can't enjoy the time that you do have because you're not living today. You're worried about tomorrow. You're not living today. You're fearful of what happened yesterday. You're You're not living. You're not there with your kids. You're not there with your spouse. You're not there in life. You're not there being conscious of what's going on because you're so worried about these things. And who, Jesus says, gets a single hour added to their life by worrying? It's of no value. It's completely unhelpful. And the last thing he says is it's completely unnecessary. It's totally unnecessary. Verse 30, he goes on to say, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field today, which is here today, and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Worry is unnecessary. Everybody say 7,000. Come on, say it again. One, two, three, 7,000. Seven comma zero zero zero. That's how many times in Scripture that God declares that He cares for you. Seven thousand times in the sixty-six books that you hold in your hand called the Bible, that God declares that He cares for you. Why would God seven thousand times? You want to talk about redundancy? Seven thousand times in one book would He declare that? Because he knows how easily you and I, we understand this, 
we read this, we memorize this, but how hard it is for us to live this out in our life, how hard it is for us to practically walk this out in our lives, and how easily we begin to worry and fear and fret life itself away. And although it's unnatural, although it's, it's unnecessary, although it's not beneficial, although it it's, it's completely doesn't add anything to our life or bless us in any way, we have this default setting because of the world that we live in that there's this whole thing that we tend to believe that the sky is falling more than I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And the reality is, is 7,000 times in Scripture he tells us he will take care of us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you even to the end of the world. If you ascend to the heavens, I'm there. And if you make your bed in hell, I'm there. I love you and I have a plan for your life. I've given you a future and a hope. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. When the enemy of your soul comes in like a flood, I will raise up a sinner against him. 7,000 times. Different verses, different passages, different stories, different scenarios, different centuries. Throughout the, throughout the canon of Scripture that we hold in our hand, God declares to us that He loves us and that He cares for us. Why? Because we have this tendency to worry. So how are we to be free of worry? How are we to be free of this worry thing? Well, Jesus gives three real practical things at the end of this Sermon on the Mount. The first thing He says is get to know God. Remember, just going right down the verse. verse in, we're still in chapter 6. Get to know God. And I know that sounds simple, but again, let's read this. Verse 31 and 32. He says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the sinners, those that are lost that don't know God, run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need them. Now, I love how the message, the transliteration, the paraphrase says it like this, verse 32. People who don't know God and the way he works worries over these things. People who don't know God and the way that he works worries over these things. Not just don't know God, but the way that God works. Do you know the way he works? Well, yeah, I mean, I know the stories. I mean, do you know the way? Well, I know some scriptures. No, that word know doesn't denote, denote a, a mental ascent of, of kind of knowing the Bible or, or knowing what it says or, or knowing the basic framework of, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and God so loved the world he gave his only son and then got Jesus is coming back and there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shine. No, no, no. Do you know him? See, I was raised in church all my life. And I wasn't raised in a minister's home, but I was raised in church. And, and, and man, if the doors were open, we were there. It was just the way it was. And I remember one time we had a pastor that had a bright idea to have a Friday night service, a missionary in for a Friday night service. And I just tell you how delighted I really was about that because I was in high, senior high school. It was homecoming. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. And my dad said, you're going to be there. And I was just like, oh, really? So I was just ready. I mean, it's like some of you may be going like, man, will he hurry up? I have got places to go and, and, and a ball game to watch. And so, um, and so anyhow, I know you never think that, but I did. And, and, and I remember coming to an age in my life where I realized, you know what? I understand what my parents believe, but I don't know God for myself. I understand that my grandparents believe this, but I don't know God for myself. I understand that I'm in church and that all these people in this room believe this, but I haven't experienced it for me. And there came a point in my life where I had to make a decision for me. Am I going to know God? For me, am I going to experience God? For me, am I going to take his word and put him to the test and see if his word works? 
Now, theologically speaking, we should never elevate our experience above his word. If you have the word of God, the word of God should always be number one. And our experience should confirm that. Never on top of. Which is why when someone comes to you and says, well, I had this experience. It doesn't really matter what experience they had. Does their experience line up with scripture? If it does, great. If it doesn't, then you need to kind of pass it, just kind of chunk it. And, and because it, it, it doesn't, that's not the way God works. It always goes through his word. But when the word of God says it, then you and I have an opportunity relationally to work that out in our life and to live that out in our life. It's a simple question. Do you know God? Do you know God? I mean, do you know him? Like, like the Bible says, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. If God told you to pick up your family and move, if God told you to sell your house and move, if God told you to do, would you really know his voice? Well, how do you know that? By experience. By reading the word of God and then living it out in your life. By taking the word of God and testing it out in your life. By taking a message like this and go, does this work? And, and, and I'm going to lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, I would fall. Because here's what we do, especially as adults. We're smart enough. We've been around the block enough. We know everybody kind of gives up and says things. I mean, preachers say things all the time. But do, do they really mean that? Do they really mean Does the Bible really? And we kind of try to reduce the Bible down to our experience instead of elevating our experience to God's word. When we reduce the Bible down to our experience, basically what we're doing is we're taking God and we're trying to put him into a box that works for us and put him in our pocket and just kind of live life the way we want to live life and just make sure we're all right. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is so large, that God is so vast, that God is so great, that you and I cannot contain him. And, and the thing is, is that we've got to be in a pursuit into a relationship with him. That's the reason why Romans 10, 9, 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that you'll be saved. That a relationship with God, that knowing God begins with a relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a personal relationship. It's not about church. It's not about baptism. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you begin that relationship with him. And then you move your life in such a way that you get your life on page with Scripture. You get your life in sync with God's Word. When you read his Word, you go, whoa, I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm doing that. Okay, I'm going to quit doing that, and I'm going to start doing it this way and see if it works. And what happens is you begin to live your life, and you build your life based on that experience of, God, of, of God's Word, and your experiences then begin to come. And what happens is there's a relationship, and you begin to walk and talk with God. Remember, God created us for a relationship, not for achievement. God wanted to walk and talk with you and I in the cool of the day. That's what he did with Adam and Eve before sin entered into the world. Nothing's changed. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you. He wants to bless your family. He wants to bless the work of your hands. That's what his word says. Don't take it up with me. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This is the gospel. It's what the Bible says. And the reality is, but the question is, are you going to trust him? And the real question is, is you only trust people that you know. If I don't know you, I really don't trust you. Let's just be honest. I don't know you. I may be nice to you. I may be cordial to you but I'm not going to be close to you. I'm not really going to trust you. You know, I may take your recommendation for a restaurant, maybe, right? But I'm not going to like really just lean so heavily on what you're going to tell me that I'm going to put my life on it. And Jesus is saying here, look, people that don't know God, they spend their entire life going after things because they don't know God and they don't know how he works. What do you spend your life doing? 
Are you pursuing God and the things of God? Well, no, but I got to work. Oh, yeah, the Bible says if you don't work, you're worse, worse than an unbeliever. Oh, yeah, the Bible says, you know, yes, we're not work predates the fall of man. There's nothing wrong with you having a job and having an ambition to want to do that and having a career. Oh, that's great. Oh, but I got a family. Oh, well, well, that's good too because family. God said, Adam and Eve, y'all get together and be fruitful and multiply. Nothing wrong, right? Before Barry White, I mean, there it was. I mean, get it on. I mean, that's it's good. That's all, that's all good, right? That's what he says. But the reality is, do you know him? Are you pursuing a relationship with him? Are you living your life for him? Do you know him? Because if you don't really know him, everything I'm saying sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And you show up at church and you have your Bible. You smile. God bless you, brother. Because you learn that pretty quick, right? You know, a couple of things you do, that kind of a deal. You learn that at Life Church, you have to get a Starbucks before you come into church, right? Nobody ever gets me one. It's all right. I'm all right. I'm getting over it. You learn the kind of culture and kind of do that. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you to go to church. I'm not asking you to have a Bible. I'm asking you, do you know God? Because if you know him, what happens is he takes you on a relational journey where you learn to trust him. Oh, I know. Because I came to an age where I had to decide for myself, does this God of the universe really exist? Did God really give us his only son and his son, Jesus Christ? Do I really believe that for me? And does it work? And the only thing I can tell you is what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Because at the end of the day, I can tell you in my own life that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting to that age, I'm, I'm 39, I'll be 40 at the end of the year, and I'm kind of just thinking, and I'm talking to some guys that are older than me, that are kind of mentors, coaches in my life, saying, hey, man, the next 10 years are going to be important, and this is what you need to plan for and think for, and da 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 And so I'm processing a lot of information right now. And I'm being kind of reflective of where I've been. Because they say the first 40 years of a man's life is, built, is about building character. And the last 40 years of a man's life is about living a life off of the character that he's built in the first 40 years. And I can tell you this. I've been in the doctor's office, personally, where, where they do the test to find out if it's malignant or if it's benign. I know what it's like to sit there and they tell you, medically, there are things that are wrong with you that we can't fix and that we don't have answers to. And there are some things you're just going to have to live with in life. I know what it's like to be in a situation where God's told you to do something. And you walk out and take a step of faith. And then it feels like everything falls apart financially. And you are out on a limb that only God can show up. I know what it's like where it doesn't make any financial sense. This isn't my parents. This is me. makes no financial sense, but you trust God and you put him first and your tithe, and he blesses the other 90%, and he makes up even more than what the 100% could pay for. And I don't know how that works. I just know that it works. And I know that if I lean to my own understanding, I get myself in deep weeds. But if I trust in him, he guides and directs my paths. And I've lived this journey and I've walked this life long enough to know his voice. That's why I'm very careful as a pastor. I very rarely, if ever, will say, God said. I'll tell you, I feel like the Lord's leading us in this direction. This is the thing that we should do. And I think God's in this. But I will preface it. Because I think it's very, 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 I think those, that's holy, hallowed ground. But I'm telling you, for me and my house, I know his voice. And I trust it. 
And because I trust it, I have an ability in my life to cast my worries and my cares upon him. And any time I catch myself carrying the weight of the church or the weight of my family or the weight of my kids or the outcome of something that I have no control of, which is about 90% of what happens in my life, just like with you, I go, oh, you better check yourself for your rickety, rickety wreck yourself. All right, Lord, here it is. I'm giving you all of this stuff because I know you and I know I'm not designed to carry this. And I'm just going to trust you with it. I don't have the answers. I don't have control. There's a lot that I, that's on, on the line. But I've walked with you and I've seen you and I know that, know that. Do you know that? Listen, that's not like a sermon or a course or a six-week series that you go through. It's called Life Lessons with Jesus. It's called asking him to come into your heart and into your life and walking it out and taking the Bible and taking it at its word. The second thing that Christ says is put God first in every area of your life. If you want to live the worry-free life, put him first in every area of your life. Verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things, the food, the clothing, the everything, all these things will be given to you as well. That whole chapter, he's talking about just the things of life. Where we're going to eat, where we're going to sleep, what we're going to wear, our bodies, all that kind of stuff. Give it to him. He, he's speaking here, and I say this sometimes like this, and I don't mean to make it cliche but but it's the easiest way to put it. We all have time, we all have talent, we all have treasure. Commandment number one, I'm the Lord your God, and I'll have no other gods before me. God has no problem. Listen, let me say it like this. God has no problem with the Packers. I think he's a Packer fan, to be really honest with you. He loves the brewers right now. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness in the house? He has no problem with the badgers. He has no problem with your sports team. He has no problem with your hunting, with your fishing. He has no problem with ladies. Would you like to go shopping, guys? You want to go play golf? He has no problem with your barbecues. He has no problem with your vacation. He has no problem with your, with your cottages up north or with your place down south, especially if you invite the pastor to come with you. He has no problems with any of that stuff. But he has a problem when anything comes between you and him. When anything preempts him and being number one in your life. Mm, he's going to go there, isn't he? He is God and he'll have no other gods before him. With your time. Do you put him first in your time? I mean, actually, you know, um, those of you that attend Saturday night service, you kind of have a, you, you kind of really more practice a Jewish philosophy of this because the Jews believe that the day doesn't begin at, the, at daybreak, it begins at dusk of the day previous. The 24-hour days actually begin in the evening because you've ended a day and now you're going to rest and be prepared for the next day. And the rest that you have in the evening is what will give you the productivity for the next day. For those of you that attend on Saturday night, you, you, got, you got it all together. You got a little bit more of a corner market than the Sunday morning crowd. Just get going with your theological selves, right? And, 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 and the, but the reality is, is this, is do you trust him with your time? Do, do you put him first with your time? Do you honor him with your time? Do you spend time? I mean, every day of my life, I do my very best to get up and, 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 and man, it's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I give him praise. God, here's the top 10 things I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful for the weather. I mean, praise God. It is October and I mean, it, 80 to close. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, for, for the health. I thank you for a strong mind, a healthy body. I thank you for my family. I thank you for the church. I thank all the things that I'm thankful for. You know, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, have your perfect will in your way in my life, 
in my, in my wife, in my marriage, in my children. My number one ambition for my kids is not that they're successful, that it blows your mind and it impresses you. My number one desire for my daughters is that they will know God for themselves and will follow him and do what he wants them to do. That's my only desire. The rest of it, I don't care. Lord, put a hedge of protection on them, bless them, and just uh, your will in heaven be on earth. You know, and then, and then I pray for my job. I pray for, I pray for everything that I have. I just give him everything. I give him, Lord, you, you know the economy. Here's, here's my retirement, Lord. You, you know any investments that I have. Here they are. Lord, you know all the things. You know everything. But a hedge picture around my house, around my vehicles, that they'll run right, that things will work right, that, that, that my money won't be wasted on those things. I, I just give him that every day. I honor him. Why? Because when I'm done praying for that, and then, Lord, lead me not to temptation, deliver me from evil, forgive me of my sins, for thine is the kingdom of power and the glory forever. When I live my life that day, I have a confidence. You know what? I have invested time with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, with Jesus Christ himself, and I've given him that. And I've honored him with my time. Do you do that? I honor him with my talent. What's your talent? It's a work of your hands. Some of you are incredibly gifted. You have the ability to work with your hands and do things with your hands, you know. And, um, and like Scott Mankey came to my house and he brought a crew of guys and, uh, and they did all this trim work and this, I mean, just beautiful staircase. Oh, everything just updated some things at my house. And I was like, wow, guys, I can't build a fence I, I can't, I would electrocute myself trying to change out a light socket. I mean, I'm just telling you, I am not gifted at all. And so people that have the ability to do that, do you do that with your hands? What do you mean? You know, maybe there's a, maybe there's a single mom. Maybe there's a shut-in. Maybe there's a neighbor. You go, well, I don't know anybody. You know what? On the back of your communication card, just write down the prayer request. I would like to, I, this is my gift. Help me get connected. I will find somebody. Why? Because when you're doing that, you're doing this unto the Lord. Maybe your ability is in, is, is in sales. And you can, man, you, can, you, you, could, you could lead a wall to Jesus, right? You just give enough time right there. You could just do that. And that's your ability. Well, let us get you connected. Are you using whatever it is that your gift is? Do you give that to the Lord? Do you honor him with the first of that? And your treasure. Whether it's Skittles or dollars and cents or Reese's, Pieces, whatever it is, ever how, whatever the resources of your life is, do you, do you honor him with the first of that? Do you put first him in your life? Let me tell you something. If you don't honor him with your time, he won't bless your time. If you don't honor him with your talent, he won't bless your talent. If you don't honor him with your treasure, he won't bless your treasure. And we want God to bless areas of our life that we're not willing to honor him and do what his word says. And God doesn't work that way. How he works is when we honor him with the first of those things. And there's something important about first, about putting it first, about making it preeminent. Again, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. This is what he says of himself. And then he'll have no other gods before him. And he, again, he has no problem with our spending. He has no problem with us having things. It's when things have us. He has no problem with the work of our hands. Man, that work predates the fall of man. I mean, we've got to have a job and, and, and go and do and be great. But he'll bless that. But are you giving that talent to him? Are you giving that? Are you doing what he wants you to do? And you know, you don't need me to tell you. But what the Bible, what Jesus says here is when you when you bring first and you put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you put him first in your areas of your life, then all these things will be added unto you. That's scary, Larry, stuff to trust him with some of that stuff. But at the end of the day, that's what his word says. Do you trust him? And the last thing that he, Jesus says is to live life one day at a time. One day at a time. 
Verse 34, he ends it with this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just live life one day at a time. I can't do anything about yesterday. It's already gone. And I cannot change tomorrow. It hasn't come. I live life today. I live life in this moment. But, but, but Aaron, I'm, I'm scared. Well, I understand that. But, but, but I, 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 you know, I don't, what, if, what if I fail? And what if? And this, listen, we fall and we get up. God's grace is sufficient for us. It's the good news. The reality is, is that I just take this life one day at a time. Today I get up and I try to honor him with my time, with my talent, with my treasure. I try to make sure that, that I am trusting in him and that I'm learning to listen to his voice and that I'm in relationship with him. And if I miss it, if I miss my devotional time, my quiet time, then the next day I'm going I'm, I'm to make sure that I'm on this. It's not about a quota. It's not about a to-do list, just kind of checking it off for those of us that are type A in the room. It's about a relationship. It's just about that time. And I just try to do it today. That's all I can do. Because I'm not good enough. Maybe you are, but, but my mind starts swirling when I start going. And, yeah, and you go, but I thought you said that when you, when you pray about things, you know, you'll pray about, you know, there's a meeting coming and there's this and there's that and you got this and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just give it to him. Why? Because I don't want my mind to be all, all on that stuff. I just take it all and I just give it to the Lord and say, there it is. There it is, God. But I can only control today. So I'm going to live in today. I'm going to love my family today. I'm going to do what I can do today. I'm doing everything I can to, today to invest for tomorrow, but I am just living all I've got is today and not tomorrow. And his word says, Jesus says, when you'll do these things, when you'll know God and know his ways, then you're able to trust them. When you're able to trust him, then you're going to be able to put him first in your life. And when you put him first in your life, then you'll just live life one day at a time. See, these are almost prerequisites, one upon top of the other. Because until you know God, listen, you're not going to trust him with your time, talent, treasure. I mean, who, who are we kidding? Seriously. I mean, you may show up at church. You may put 20 bucks in the offering. You, you may show up for a work day or do some ministry. But, but really, you're not really going to structure your life in such a way that you're going to give your time, talent, and treasure if you don't really trust God, if you don't really know him. But when you know him, it's yours, God. It's not mine. I'm not fighting this. You want my life. You want me to move here. You want me to move there. You want me to do this. You want me to do that. You want you. It's here it is. You want my money. You want my resources? What, whatever. Why? Because I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. To bless you and not to harm you. To give you a future and a hope. And when you know him, you trust him. And when you trust him, even when the enemy comes in like a flood, even when the spirit of fear tries to come and dominate your life, you know your source is in him and you run to the refuge of his word and you declare his word and you claim one of those 7,000 promises of his word of how he will take care of you and you stand upon his word. Why? Because you know that it works. So today, trust is always expressed in action, not in intent. Trust. Trusting God is always expressed in action, not in intent. The question is just simply this. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Have you proven him? And, and, and maybe you're here today and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It's this, it's this simple. Just simply saying, dear Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, and forgive me my sins and be my Lord and my Savior. That's it. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, 10, if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that we will be saved. Maybe it's a lordship issue. Maybe you've asked Christ to come in your heart and in your life and, and, and you're doing some good things, but you know, man, you're not putting him first in some areas of your life. You're not really surrendering some things in your life. You don't really trust him because you have this dichotomy. You, you, you live life one way Monday through Friday, but you live life another way on the weekend when you come to church. And the book of James says that that's a double-minded man. And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I'm just telling you, you won't do anything but frustrate and confuse yourself. Jesus said, I'd rather that you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, you're living one way at Sunday, uh, weekend church, and another way during the week, I will spit you out of my mouth. I didn't write those words, Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says it very clearly. I'm not your God, and you don't have to confess it to me. But you know, and I'm not asking you to trust in me. Please don't trust in me. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'm not God. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just a messenger. I'm just telling you, though, that there's a lordship issue that you have to settle in your life. And if you don't, you're always going to go to this default setting, this unnatural, this unnecessary, this unreasonable setting called worry and anxiety. And it will, it will rob your days and your nights of the joy that God intends you to have. And it will shorten the years of your life. And you will look at some point. It's kind of like, you know, when, when we look at our lives. And like when you got out of high school and all of a sudden you look back on high school and you went, Oh, I wish I really been worried about all those things. Or you get through your 20s when you think you're supposed to have all the answers. And you realize, yeah, nobody really expected me to have it all together. I think one moment in eternity... We'll look back on this life and go, wow. Wow. I made it so much more complicated. I made it so much more difficult. I made it, I just, if I would have just trusted him, his word is true. Maybe it's a situation where it's family and you're, and you're, you're worrying yourself to death, mom, about your kids and about things. And you're just hovering and helicoptering and just hanging on and give them to God. They're not rock'em, sock'em robots. You can't control them. God won't control them. But you've taught them and you've trained them and you've released them to the Lord. Pray for them. Give them to the Lord. I don't know. Maybe it's in the area of finances because the world that we live in, man, it's just crazy right now. And you're just going, well, okay, that's great, but that didn't really, you know, I've had people say this to me, well, that works for church. But now in the business world, Read Isaiah chapter 40 and chapter 41 and 42. The Bible says that God holds the waters of this world in the hollows of his hand. That no one comes to power except through the Lord. And the promotion doesn't come from the east and the west, but from heaven above. I'm telling you, we serve a God who is infinite, who is almighty, and who is able to take care of any situation. And there's not a business world and a spiritual world. God doesn't dichotomize. There's one world, there's one God, there is one reality. And we either surrender ourselves to it, or we go on with our bad selves, and we try to live our lives on our own. It's all about relationship. So what I want to do today is I want to pray. I want to pray for you today. And I want to pray for wherever you are. 
And if you need Christ today, as I'm praying this prayer, just simply say, Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life. If, you, if it's a lordship issue of your time, of your talent, of your treasure, you know what it is, just give it to him. Just say, God, I'm struggling with this. He knows. And the Bible says he knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. Just give it to him. If you're, if you're worried about your kids, if you're worried about your finance, if you're worried about this, you're worried about that. You know, it even says, you know, in one point when we were reading today, it says you're worried about your body. Well, I'm predisposed to this, and I'm predisposed to that, and I've got this problem, and this problem, and this problem. That's what he's talking about. Quit worrying. It doesn't do anything. But you don't understand. This is what happens in my family, and this is, this is genetic, and da 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 I understand all that. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it doesn't add anything to your life. And so maybe it's a situation where you're just fearful, and you're worried about things you have no ability to control. Give it to him. Father, I just thank you today. Lord, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the strength and the power that comes from your word. The Bible says of itself that it will not return, for, return void. Lord, over 7,000 times in Scripture, you tell us that you care for us, that you care, that you hear, that you see, that you know. And we've seen it, Lord, from Genesis to Revelation. We see it, God, in, in the lives of people in Scripture. We see it through the nation of Israel. We see it through your own Son, Jesus Christ. We see it. We're exhorted and, and we're taught those principles. And I just simply pray, Lord, that you would help us today to trust in you. God, to know you. Maybe out of this, this message today, someone would decide that they're going to know you for themselves. They're going to go on a journey with you for themselves. Maybe there's a, 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 a dad that's going to go, you know, man, I'm, 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 I'm going to church. And I'm doing the right things and I'm a Christian, but I really am not knowing God and, and just really just trying to read his word and do his word. Read his word and do his word. And if I fail, I'm going to ask you to forgive me and get back up. Lord, I just pray for that mom that's just worried about her kids. She's just fretting about things. She has no, I just pray, Lord, give her the strength to give it to you, to trust, Lord, in you. Because those children, your word says, are a blessing from you anyhow. So, Lord, I just pray that for every person in this room, Lord, for the single that's in this room, God, for the single mom in this room that's worried about issues, God, for, for, for the single young adult that's in this room, that's, that, Lord, it just maybe feels alone and maybe feels like they're just trying to connect. God, that they'll just trust in you, that they will just know you and experience you. And that's not through a, a message or, or through a couple of weeks series. It, it, it's, it's beginning to do life. It's sitting down and just palms up and releasing it, casting their cares upon you, giving their anxiety to you, giving their fears and their worries to you and allowing you to do work in their life. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust in you with these butterfly in our stomach issues that we deal with called anxiety. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.